0: Welcome to the Seahawks Forever Podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist, Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. We got some cool stuff to talk about today. Thanks for joining me on the live feed. At the end of the show, I will get to uh, any comments that are left on the live feed. I can um, actually insert them on the screen and address them uh, as appropriate uh, if you send in any cool stuff um, thanks for the support on the first show under the Seahawks Forever banner um, really nice numbers a lot of you listened and watched and supported it and commented and have reached out to me and I appreciate that let's grow this thing together got some cool things in store for uh, the next few months to, to um just try to add value to the show for you so that we can grow this community and have more interaction. Ultimately, that's the goal. Uh, today, we get to talk about Bobby Wagner. We, we've been waiting for this. We've, uh, gosh, going back a month and a half. I remember um, one of the last shows we had under the field goal's name with with Dana and Brandon talking about Bobby. And, and, and I remember at the time, uh, I was skeptical that a reunion could take place, even though there were some positive signs. Initially, I just thought that somebody would step up and pay a little bit more and maybe a little bit longer deal for Bobby, even at this point in his career uh, than the Seahawks were willing to pay um, or, or able to pay that made sense for them and what they're doing with the roster right now. But he's back. The news broke last night. Actually, Quandre Diggs breaking the news himself. Love how he did that. Um, You know, he's been a lot of fun to watch throughout this entire process in the offseason recruiting guys. And every single day, every single day he was talking about, is this the day? Is this the day Bobby comes back? And now he's back. A one-year deal reported for $7 million. We don't know how much of that is guaranteed. We'll get into the money part of it in just a minute. But there's a couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, obviously, I want to talk about how it affects the roster. Are the Seahawks better for having Bobby Wagner at this stage of his career on the roster than they were two days ago? Uh, Then I want to talk about how it makes the linebacker room look as a whole, how it affects their draft approach potentially at that position. And specifically some guys that I like in the draft at linebacker. And I'll break it down into a couple of categories. We'll talk about best fits today. We'll talk about some hybrid, kind of unique Swiss Army knife guys that aren't really true traditional inside linebackers but can play that position and also do some other things. Talk about some wild cards where there's some questions about whether they'd be a fit or not or if the Seahawks have any interest. And we'll talk about some guys later in the draft that might bring some real value, um, maybe even on day three. Um, I'll try to answer the question. I'll at least give my thoughts on whether or not the, the roster as a whole outside of just the linebacker group, whether the roster as a whole is better today than it was at the end of the season. Um, We'll talk about money. Is the money gone now? What are they going to do? How are they going to be able to add more to this roster? And that will lead into some final thoughts that I'll have on sort of my big picture feelings on roster building. And from conversations I have with some of you on Twitter, I know that our thoughts differ on that. And I think some of the the perspective uh, from, I was going to say casual fan, but even even the fan that really follows this stuff closely, um, differs a little bit on how I view roster building and how I look at the roster today versus what I think they might do in the draft. And the idea that um, you're never done, basically. A little spoiler alert there. Uh, and then we're going to update what y'all may be thinking and myself personally on the Jalen Carter situation on whether or not did another poll today, how you feel about whether you would be in favor, not whether you think they will, but whether you would be in favor of the Seahawks drafting him at number five. Um, Whereas, you know, a couple of months ago before all the legal stuff came to light and some of the other issues he's had, some of the difficulties he's had in the draft process, um, you know, was kind of a slam dunk, obvious fit for Seattle at five, if he even lasted, that long but let's start off with number 54 who will be number 54 again after switching to 45 with the rams and this this definitely takes care of one uh one thing for me personally i was uh you know every year i buy myself a seahawk jersey at least one okay maybe sometimes more (laughs) it's a problem um last year i got it i got it I went with a personalized one with my the number I used to wear and my last name on it, which got me some interesting questions at the stadium. The first time I wore it, the guys that have sat behind me for years uh, were asking me who the hell that player was. Um, and then I uh, got a Tyler Lockett alternate, and then I got a Ken Walker uh, the third, which uh, was stolen. So I'm down one already, but I never got a Bobby jersey. So that's uh, that decision has been made for me uh, heading into this last year. First of all, let's talk about the obvious question, which is how does it affect the roster? I think we can all agree as much as we love Bobby and, and sometimes our our affection for a player creates blinders, right? And we don't see the big picture. And sometimes that works in the opposite direction. Sometimes once you get a perception, a negative perception about a player, sometimes it's hard to shake that. Too, no matter what he does on the field. And I think Cody Barton's the best example of that recently. And we'll talk about that and how it that all fits into this too. But the reason the Seahawks decided to move on from Bobby Wagner two years ago wasn't just the $20 million cap hit. It was also that his skills have declined. He's not the explosive sideline to sideline player that he used to be. And that's related directly to issues with his knees, um, knee or knees. Um, He has to go get those injections uh, overseas before each season starts. And he's really had to take care of those. Although he proved to be a a very durable player last year in Los Angeles. And when you read analysis of people that really follow the Seahawks or or cover the Seahawks intently, uh, specifically from an X's and O's standpoint, um, the Seahawks had to do some things two years ago defensively to cover for his lack of range in the coverage game kind of make up for his shortcomings. Um, But the two things have happened since then. Number one is the Rams used him differently in their scheme. He did get called on from time to time to cover. um, And he struggled at times there. I know you remember the interception that he had against the Seahawks, but our, you know, friend of the show, Griffin Sturgeon uh, posted some clips Showing him really struggling and, and and how Shane Waldron kind of picked on him and isolated him in coverage a couple of times. Uh, but the Rams tried to minimize those snaps and really have Bobby moving forward and attacking the line of scrimmage. Doing what he does best, taking on blockers, which he can still do. He's still strong enough at the point of attack. He's still very physical. He can still stack and shed as well as anyone in the league. Um, and also rushing the passer more than the Seahawks had him doing. Basically moving north and south more than east and west. And he had an outstanding season, second team, all pro. And you can argue whether that was, uh, whether that was justified or not. Bottom line is he still played at a high level. And then the other thing that's happened since he left is the Seahawks have changed what they do defensively, schematically. And Bob Condoto, who covers the team for the Seattle Times, actually said that the scheme that we run on defense now is a little bit more similar to what the Rams did last year and how they used Bobby. And so there might be a more natural fit now than there was before. So it wasn't just about the money. They also, at the time, remember Jordan Brooks was playing weak side linebacker. They wanted to move him to, uh, to Sam basically in into Bobby's spot. Um, and the, they just felt like it was the right time for that transition. Well, now Jordan Brooks He's probably going to start the season on the pup list tore his ACL last year. He's not going to be uh, a guy that the Seahawks can count on at the beginning of the season. So linebacker was definitely a need because it was just Jordan Brooks on the roster until a week and a half ago when they signed Devin Bush and they were out there hunting linebackers for sure. And they, um, and they just didn't have any depth there. In fact, they, they didn't even tender Tanner Muse who played uh, after Brooks got hurt at the end of last year, did some good things, and, um, and we'll touch on him a little bit in a minute, too. So those things have changed since Bobby left. I am in favor of this move. And, and I don't see it. It'd be hard for someone to argue against this move. Sure, you could, from a strictly football standpoint, could you make the argument that they could have signed a younger player in free agency, a guy like Rashawn Evans, or they could have gotten a little more aggressive earlier in free agency, maybe gotten a Jermaine Pruitt uh, or Jermaine Pratt. Um, Or maybe there's still a guy out there now in the free agent market who's younger and just doesn't have the, the questions about his athleticism at this point in his career. Sure. You can make that argument. But I also think we're seeing a transition on the whole roster in Seattle. And we're about to see a big infusion of youth on defense. You know, we're going to talk at length over the next month about this draft. And yes, there are some needs on offense, and they will select some offensive players. Don't get that twisted. But there's going to be uh, some significant additions to the defense with young players. And it takes those guys a while to adjust schematically. it's, It's a lot more challenging to play defense in the NFL than it is at most colleges and most college systems. There's an adjustment period. There's the physical nature of being able to play 17 games versus 11 or 12. So to balance that out with some veteran leadership, I think is important. So it, it just feels like the right move at the right time. That's what I tweeted out after the move was made official. feels like the right move at the right time. And there's really a no-lose situation is the way I look at it here. If Bobby comes back and, and this is the year that he's done He's that power hitter, right, that's into his middle to upper 30s that that has that one good year. He's still hitting 30 or 35 home runs a year, and then you sign him for one more year, and the bat speed is just gone. Ken Griffey Jr. in his final year with the Mariners, when you just know that the light is out. If that happens, better for it to happen here. You know, the fans are still going to love him and embrace him. Pete Carroll's going to take care of him. And, uh, and then he'll be able to ride off into the sunset. Um, the upside, though, is if he plays anywhere near how he played last year with the Rams, it's going to be a valuable piece of this defense. And he does solidify that position. There's still work to be done in front of them, right? What was the big the big criticism last year about the play of the linebackers, both Brooks and Barton? They just... They just didn't stack and shed well enough. They didn't take on blocks and get off blocks well enough. And they got creamed in the run game too often. But we also started to hear as the season developed that, you know, that the defensive line just wasn't good enough last year to keep blockers off of them. And so they were facing just, they got caught in the wash. They were facing too much traffic that hasn't fully been addressed yet. So, you know, a lot of these questions aren't going to be clear, obviously. That's the way the offseason goes until we get into training camp and we see how this defensive line looks differently a month from now than it does right now. Um now, you talk about opening day, Bobby Wagner playing Sam, Devin Bush playing Will. More coverage responsibilities There's question marks about Devin Bush too. There's reasons that Pittsburgh Steelers fans were happy that he signed with Seattle instead of coming back, that he hasn't been, he hasn't been the same player since he tore his ACL a couple of years ago. That dynamic explosive player that the Steelers traded up to get at number 10 four years ago in the draft. And that if you watch his Michigan tape was just destroying guys physically. Whereas last year he became more of a grab and pull, uh, sort of a rugby style tackler actually kind of that tackling style that the Seahawks are so so known for uh, teaching and coaching. Both these players are going to have question marks about them. So it'll be interesting to watch them play together. But I think what the Seahawks are banking on with Bush is a guy hasn't even turned 25 years old yet. He's coming out. He's coming to us at an age that a lot of these players in this draft that took advantage of the COVID rules are coming out of the draft this year. You're hearing a lot. You're seeing a lot of these prospects coming out and they're getting, they're getting downgraded slightly in the draft because they're, ah, oh, they're 24 already. Well, Devin Bush is 24 years old. He has four years experience playing almost every snap in the NFL when he's been healthy. Um, and so the Seahawks obviously see something in there that they can tap into. And if they can, then you know, they find themselves a player. If they can't, it's a one year deal for low money. It really doesn't cost them anything. But but who better to learn from than than Bobby Wagner, right? Here's the other thing to keep in mind. Remember this. When he was first released by the Rams, or actually there was a, a couple of weeks of a sort of a grace period there where it was reported that the Rams were going to release him on the first day of the league year, uh, but it hadn't happened yet. So, um, But initially, right off the bat, both the, the Seahawks and Wagner reportedly had interest in each other from the beginning. And early on in the process, as soon as he could comment on it, John Schneider on his radio show said that he and Pete had had some conversations with Bobby and specifically, and this is the part of the quote that I want to remind you of that they quote, had a great, awesome, Frank conversation. He knows where we are and we know where he's at. We know where this is going. We talked about it on the show at the time. And what I said then, I think still holds true now. I think they told him, this is what we're willing to pay you. If you can't find anything better in the market, we're here. And that's how it played out. And I think that's what he meant by, we know where this is going. Because I also think that John had a good finger on the linebacker market. And he knew, he saw that, he even admitted it, moved a little quicker than he expected. And so you wonder, and we'll probably never find out, but you wonder if they had maybe some other targets in that linebacker group. Um, that they had, they had taken shots at early on. Um, but the part about having awesome frank conversations, I have to believe, included, you're not going to be an every down player. On obvious passing downs and we go to sub packages and we need some better coverage skills out there, we're going to take you off the field. You're not going to play any down, every down anymore at this point in your career. And I think the signing of Julian Love kind of plays into this too as a guy as an extra safety now with or without Jamal Adams and and him coming back healthy or not, that gives you that extra piece when you're going to five, even six defensive backs in lieu of two linebackers, two inside linebackers. Sometimes you might just play once. Sometimes there might not be a single true inside linebacker on the field in some of those sub packages. And so I think I think the Julian Love signing, in some ways, played into making this move for Bobby, Bobby now. Um, but there's no accounting for his leadership and his football savvy and the fact he wants to be back. And and just for a little side note, too, there was so much criticism this time last year with how the Seahawks handled his release and the fact that he found out about it through social media instead of from the team. And then John Schneider had to come out later and Pete, too, and say, yeah, we, we could have handled that better. It was tricky because... He represents himself and we had to make the move. And it, they admitted they mishandled it. Bobby used it initially as a chip on his shoulder, but to see that the relationship never was damaged beyond repair um, is exciting as a Seahawks fan. Um, Is it his swan song? The fact that it is a one-year deal, is that him acknowledging that maybe it's just at this point in his career, he's going to go year to year. But it is, you know, the opportunity is built in there that if he wants to play beyond this year and that opportunity exists, then then he may consider it. But, But maybe he's already decided that this is it. Because I don't see Bobby leaving for another team again. I don't see him bouncing back to the Seahawks now, getting to the end of the year and going somewhere else again. Because if he plays well and has a good year and still wants to keep playing, then maybe the Seahawks should see value in bringing him back yet again. Because remember this, there's still the question of Jordan Brooks's fifth-year option as well. The Seahawks have to make that decision by May 2nd of this year, when he's still not fully recovered from ACL. Now, traditionally, the Seahawks haven't exercised many fifth-year options. In fact, the first time they ever did was on Noah Fant, who they had acquired from another team, didn't even draft him themselves. He's playing on his fifth-year option this year. So they're going to have to make that decision on Jordan Brooks by May 2nd. I suspect that they won't exercise it. They'll see how the year plays out, and then if he plays really well and he comes back healthy, try to extend him if that's something they're interested in. So. Um, it'll be an interesting pairing to watch at the beginning of the season, you know, Devin Bush, kind of the upside play, the younger player and Bobby to see what he has left in the tank. I do feel better about the linebacker group than, than we did three weeks ago when there were none, when you the linebackers you had on your roster were John Radigan and Nick Bellore. That was worrisome, especially as you started to see some of those free agent linebackers fly off the board. Um, But he's back and it's a feel-good moment and it kind of puts a bow on what has been the Seahawks' most aggressive free agency period in 10 years, right? Brock Heward tweeted out yesterday, uh, Seahawks had their best draft in 10 years last year. They had their best free agency period in in 10 years this offseason. And they have 10 picks coming up in the next draft. They have a chance to really solidify a contending roster moving forward so I'm seeing a lot of this now in the, in the hours since Bobby has signed, I continue to tweet about draft guys that I like guys that would fit. And I I get some pushback from fans saying we're, we're good at linebacker. Now we're set. We got Bobby Devin and Jordan Brooks. I tweeted something earlier today about some linebackers. I like Um, all you have to do is add them and now we're set. And someone came back and said, do you, Are you that down on Brooks? Remember that point, because I'm going to circle back around to that when I talk about my general philosophy for roster building. But mark my words, the Seahawks are intending to draft a linebacker in this draft. Potentially very high, potentially more than one. So who are some linebackers I like? And I broke them into a couple categories as I touched on at the top. First of all, I think there's two guys, and if you follow me and you follow the mock drafts that I've done, you know this already. This is not going to come as a surprise to you. But I think there's two players that I see as outstanding fits today and long-term, and they're day two players that um, I'd be in favor of and and genuinely, genuinely excited about drafting either one, if not both of these players. And the first one is Jack Campbell out of Iowa. I think he's the best inside linebacker in this draft. He's the singular, most traditional Mike linebacker in this draft. Most of the guys that play middle linebacker, strong side linebacker, the guys that would wear the green dot and call the defense are either, well, not either, they're undersized. Or they're uh, conversions from other positions that don't have a lot of experience at Mike. But most of them are undersized. There aren't a lot of guys built like this, 6'5", 243. And when you see that and you watch him on tape, he's got long arms, kind of, kind of looks like a modern day Jack Lambert in a way. Um, he doesn't look as athletic, but then you see that he, I think he was the top rated coverage linebacker in all of college football last year. Uh, and he had a good combine. He looked good there. The testing was good. He is the guy um, that if the Seahawks take him on day two, get excited about it and he might not play much. At first, when you got Bobby there and then when Jordan comes back, he would be your long-term play. Can he play weak side? I don't know. I would have to talk to somebody who's done a little more in-depth scouting into his game uh, to see if, A, he's ever had snaps at weak side or if he thinks that, that his skills could translate to that. Um, but a guy that would be more of a long-term play uh, or could play as a rookie, certainly because he has a lot of experience, played a lot of football at Iowa, Um, If Brooks is slow in getting back and and Bobby gets hurt or or Bobby's not as effective as we want him to be. The other one that you know that I love is Dan Henley out of WSU, not just because I'm a Coug, but he's a damn good player. He showed that at the senior bowl, looked great at the combine, 6'2", 232. Now he's a weak side linebacker. He can play. I think he can play Mike, but again, little, little undersized for that. But he's a guy that, you know, played wide receiver on offense earlier in his career really understands coverages, and that's where he stood out at the Senior Bowl. His ability, first of all, after transferring from Nevada to WSU, where he stood out is his nose for the football, his ability to make plays, forcing turnovers, recovering fumbles, interceptions, able to rush the passer a little bit too, but getting sideline to sideline. And then his ability to cover in this modern NFL and the way the Seahawks are going to play with their linebackers. I think he is an immediate day one fit. That that could be used early in his rookie season in certain packages. So those are the two guys I think are the best fits that would be the most exciting to see them select during the draft. Then there's a couple other guys that I consider hybrids where I'm not sure of their fit, but they can be used in a bunch of different ways, sort of Swiss army knife guys. That's Trenton Simpson out of Clemson, Drew Sanders from Arkansas and DeMarvian overshone from Texas, all tall, rangy, Simpson's the shortest of the bunch at 6'3", 230. Drew Sanders, 6'5", 232. owner Owner overshones more of that Drew Sanders size. Sanders used to play edge and more of a stand-up defensive end, and then, then they moved him to off-ball linebacker. He's played some off-ball and on-ball. He's played inside linebacker, but he just doesn't look, I was having this conversation today, just doesn't really look like a traditional inside linebacker. And the the part of his game that does concern scouts the most is his ability to take on blocks and stack and shed. In fact, I think that he was the second best inside linebacker at that aspect at Arkansas. And one of my late round draft crushes, uh, Bumper Pool, um, who you could include in the last group I'm about to talk about here a little bit. But Overshone's another guy, former safety, good coverage skills, still developing as a linebacker, uh, but he can cover guys and he can rush off the edge, and Simpson's kind of that way too. And, and the problem with some of these guys is, and we saw that with, uh, who's the kid from that Arizona took a couple years ago, Isaiah Simmons, was that it? Um, where, you know, you get all excited about all the things he can do, but is it jack-of-all-trades, master of none? Can he do a little bit of everything, but he doesn't do the one thing great? And Trenton Simpson, I think, kind of fits into that mold too. Great athlete. You can envision doing a lot of things and using him in a lot of ways and moving him around, but does he do any one thing well enough to make him an every down player? So questions about those guys and their fit. Um, and, and, And in the case of Simpson and Sanders, there's sometimes where you see them being mocked in the first round. So those guys might be guys that, unless the Seahawks are absolutely in love with them, might be out of their range. There's a couple that I fit into a category I call wild cards, where I'm just not sure. One is Henry Toto out of Alabama. And with him, it's just, I don't know, early on in the draft process, he was a guy that was ranked at the top of the linebacker lists, going in the second round in most mock drafts. Sometimes the first true inside linebacker off the board. But again, undersized, 6'2", 228 covers well plays the run well but I don't know that he's dynamic enough in any one area really again to to stand out the other guy for me is Noah Sewell talk about a guy who at the beginning of the draft process was going really high in a lot of drafts a lot of that might have just might have been name recognition Um, but 6'3 250 is a big big physical dude and he absolutely can come up and stack, and shed, and get off blocks. He's rushed the passer a little bit. That size is his game. He can be physical, and he can play in, in inside, right? He can play in that mosh pit. Questions about Noel Sewell are athleticism, and agility, and uh, explosiveness. Um, maybe a guy that can be had later in the draft that maybe is not a three-down player, uh, but you can get some value with later. And and in that sense, I almost put them in this next category, which are guys that that are going to go later in the draft for one reason or another, um, but could get you some good value and, and be you know nice players long-term. Most of these guys are undersized. Doreen Williams out of Tulane, outstanding coverage linebacker, hasn't been asked to come up and take on blockers a lot. Owen oh, Papo out of Auburn who blew up the combine because he was – just so fast and twitchy and explosive D winners of TCU. Uh, Martu Mapu from Sacramento state, really intriguing player at six, three, but just two ten. Um, was the best coverage linebacker at the senior bowl and was called up to the senior bowl because of an injury uh, had been playing at the, uh, I think he was at the NFL PA bowl and they called him up uh, to join the senior bowl and really, really made an impression there. And Mohamed Diabate out of Utah, a guy that played stand-up defensive end earlier in his career and then was moved to off-ball linebacker, tall, rangy, outstanding speed, sideline to sideline, still learning the position though, uh, which is why he's probably a day three pick. So there's some names to keep your, you know, to keep in mind as you look forward to the draft, and you should. And to clarify my earlier point, that's that's what I wanted to get to because I because I get a lot of this. We don't need to draft a linebacker now. <laughs> yeah, we do. If you weren't listening before, Bobby's on a one-year deal. Devin Bush is on a one-year deal. John Radigan's not good enough. Nick Ballor's not a linebacker. And Jordan Brooks, they have to make a decision on his fifth-year option. I think they're going to decline it. So you're looking at 2024 having zero linebackers on the roster. You absolutely, absolutely have to draft a linebacker in this draft. And I would argue two. I'd like to see him take a guy that's a, a traditional that can play Mike. Jack Campbell obviously is my favorite. And then most of these other guys I mentioned are guys that are more suited to playing that weak side spot. And you can never have too many of those guys, even if there's not snaps for them to play on defense early in their career. They are outstanding to have on special teams. They're built that way. And that's how they can make an impact. And I do think the Seahawks may still have some interest in bringing back Tanner Muse. The reason you let him test free agency instead of signing him into a, a restricted free agent tender is you can then um you can then sign him to a split contract where there's no guarantees uh you can move him on and off the roster a little easier from what i is is the way i understand that so i think there's still some appeal in, in potentially bringing him back as well and that could be one i think i think where free agency is kind of ground to a halt now is i think now for the most part teams are going to wait until after the draft and see how they set up you know there's pretty big names out there that haven't signed yet guys like frank clark And maybe that's because uh, teams are just going to wait and they want to see how they do in the draft and what holes they have after that. And then these guys can fit in and then they can make better decisions. They may be willing to wait too, because they want to, they want to look and see after the draft, what a roster looks like. Well, I might want to go to this team for a little less money because I see more snaps. So that's why I think we're out with the linebackers. I think we're still absolutely prioritizing that in the draft seriously prioritizing it. If they love Trenton Simpson or Drew Sanders and they're sitting there at 20 or they trade down from 20 and he's a guy at the top of their board at the time, they're not going to not take him because, well, we've got Devin Bush and Bobby Wagner's back, so we're good. And that really ties into my point about overall roster building. I hate this mindset that so many people seem to have that were ever set at any one position. I think the best example of that right now in the Seahawks roster is quarterback. You can never just assume you're set. Well, I say never. I guess if you have Tom Brady and he's 29 years old in the prime of his career, you're pretty set as long as you have a solid backup. But just because they brought back Geno Smith on a team-friendly deal, and we all, most of us think that he has more pro-bowl type performances in him, And they brought back Drew Locks. You have that continuity and that familiarity as a backup and a guy with some upside, potentially an ascending player. That to successfully build a long-term, healthy, contending roster. And I think the best example of this right now in the NFL might be the San Francisco 49ers. Where you look at them next year, the year after, the year after, They've done such a nice job of layering their roster. And that's the word I like to use is layering their roster. So they're continually adding talent at every position group over time. It helps you manage salaries and it just gives you depth, right? To do that, to continue to do that, you have to try to be as diligent as possible maybe vigilant is the word that I'm looking for there of taking best player available, taking the best talent, regardless of if you think he's quote unquote blocked or not on the roster. So we'll have this conversation again after draft day. If some guys that fit this category are taken because there are some positions that if the Seahawks address them early in this draft, some fans are going to cry out. What a waste of a draft pick. He's not going to play. Okay. A, injuries happen, and B, talent is talent. You want dynamic talent. You want to draft the players that you think have the best chance to be the best NFL player they can be versus other players that are available at that spot. And so if you think they're set at linebacker now and they take Drew Sanders at 20, don't let it upset you. A, they'll find a way to use him, and B, that position just won't be in as much of a crunch over the next couple of years as they are today. Because today, at least at the linebacker situation, it's 2023 or bust. There's absolutely zero long-term security in at the linebacker position on the Seahawks roster right now. And that's a concern. So I want to talk about the roster as a whole now because I do think free agency is basically wrapped up. And the reason is the money's gone (laughs) for the most part. Um, You know, friend of the show, Dana O'Gorman, loves to say uh, the salary cap isn't real. It's real. Ask the L.A. Rams how real it is. But it can be, be manipulated. The thing is that we know about the Seahawks M.O. and the way that they like to approach structuring contracts is they don't like to kick that can too far down the road. They don't like to play those games as much as possible. Uh, they like to avoid them as much as they can so that every year they're in a position to add players at positions of need. But before Bobby signed, Bob Kondota tweeted out that the Seahawks had $8.9 million left in salary cap space. That does not include what they need for the draft. And based on how many picks they have and where those picks are located, That's about $10 million. So that already puts them at a deficit. Not to mention teams don't ever spend. The Seahawks certainly don't down to the penny. They leave a contingency fund. I don't know specifically how much money that is. It depends on, and that $10 million mark, by the way, is not just draft picks, but also practice squad. You have to budget for that as well. That counts against your salary cap. At least once the season starts not in the offseason. So there is a little bit more room for, for finagling during the offseason. season. Uh, but they got to leave some room for contingency too. So you can make on its face today, not knowing again, the structure of Bobby's deal, how much of it's guaranteed. Um, It doesn't sound like it's fully guaranteed. Or I think we would have heard that by now because the agent would have wanted that money out there. And that agent is Bobby Wagner. And so he would have leaked that information out. I think maybe because Bobby's representing himself, Even if it is fully guaranteed, he's not interested in getting that word out there. But Levante David, who's also in his year 33 season, has had not quite as storied of a career as Bobby Wagner, but pretty close, right? Universally regarded as one of the best linebackers in the NFL, uh, weak side linebacker, uh, went back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a one-year fully guaranteed $7 million deal. We haven't heard that yet about Bobby's. But even if it's not, as we sit here today, they don't have any money. So again, just to remind you that those, that money can be freed up. Right. And some of the easiest ways is they could restructure Quandre Diggs deal. And it's, it could be as simple as converting some of his 13 and dollar base salary next year to bonus. They could also tack it year on, give him a little bit of an extension and finagle it that way a little bit. There's been a lot of talk about Jamal Adams being a post-June 1 cut, I talked about on the last show, would save them, I think it was $8.5 million after the dead cap is accounted for. But they could also restructure Adams. There's a pathway here where if the player and team agree that his situation is unique, and that is he suffered two major injuries in two years, they're not sure when he's going to get back or how much he's going to be able to contribute this, this coming season. They could just redo his deal and lower his cap hit in 2023 significantly. They could do it that way as well. And then there's the Cheninuosu contract, which could be his cap hit for this year could be significantly lowered. He's in the last year of that two-year deal he signed as a free agent last offseason. If the Seahawks were to extend him, they could lower this year's cap hit. And then there's been some talk of Noah Fant in the last year of his deal. If they want to sign him to an extension, they could do that as well um and sign his number that he's playing under this year which is that fifth year option extension number for tight ends so there are some things they can do and what this does tell me is the Seahawks obviously are confident that they can and will be able to do that they must or they if all the players I just mentioned said nope don't want to touch my deal <laughs> the Seahawks have no money to sign their draft pick so they must feel like something's about to get done typically though it might take a while they usually announce extensions um Right before training camp starts, um, or even during training camp, in some in some examples. Um, so I do think it it kind of rules out any more free agents, at least any more big names. You can add veteran minimum guys. Because this time of year, I think the way it works is they only count the top 51 salaries. And so if you sign a guy at the veteran minimum, he doesn't jump into that top 51. You can add, I think, as many of those guys as you want until a certain date later this offseason when you have to balance your books. And I think that's right before the season starts when you set your 53. I could be wrong on some of the slight details of that, but but there is some wiggle room here. Uh, but they're essentially, they're essentially done. And so that. Then the big question is, are they better? And I think that's a two-pronged question. One is, are they better since the end of last season? And are they better since the offseason began? Free agency began. And as optimistic of a person uh, as I am, I don't know that the answer is yes right now. Let's look on offense first. They signed Evan Brown to a one year deal uh, from the Detroit Lions. He grades out better as a center. Snyder says he is a center. He can play guard, but he's absolutely a center. So, Evan Brown for Austin Blythe. To me, that's a significant upgrade. That's good. That's a check mark in the, uh, in the uh, positive category. Essentially, Phil Haynes now is the full time starter at right guard. They paid him starter money to bring him back on a one year deal, although. We all think that they're going to be looking hard at interior offensive line in the draft as well. And he split time with Gabe Jackson last year. Gabe Jackson really struggled. We know that he's been released. And so Phil Haynes for Gabe Jackson full-time, I think is a slight upgrade because he did perform better than Jackson last year. But then they're minus. They've lost three players to free agency that they haven't replaced. And that's Marquise Goodwin, who was their clear-cut number three receiver last year. And then Travis Homer and Rashad Penny out of that running back room. So Evan Brown's a significant upgrade, but overall on offense, there's some holes to fill. I don't know that you can say they're better today than they were when the season ended. Uh, Let's call that a wash on offense, actually, because I do think if the season started today. uh, They've got some receivers that could fill that hole. Um, Obviously they're going to add running backs to that room. But I do think the Brown upgrade over Blythe is that significant. I also think Jay Curran could push Gabe Jackson for some playing time at right guard. And then on defense, it gets really tricky. We love the Draymond Jones signing. That big splash, first day of free agency, something the Seahawks don't usually do. Essentially, he replaces Shelby Harris. And then they bring back Jeron Reed. He essentially replaces Quentin Jefferson. Those guys are basically your 3-4 your defensive ends but they lose Puna Ford and Al Woods. They have no nose tackle right now. Brian Monet is on the injured list. There's questions about whether he'll be able to play at all in 2023. Um, Is it Miles Adams? Am I getting that name right? Man, sometimes I just blank. You know, I have notes, but I don't note everything. Um, He's not a nose tackle. He's a player that I like, but he's more of a rotational player and he's not a nose tackle. The CS don't have a nose tackle today. So even if you think Draymond Jones is a significant upgrade over Shelby, Shelby, Harris, which I think he is, they've added a dynamic player. And for that and that alone, I consider that a huge plus in this free agency period. I think he is, he's the type of player up front that they needed to find in the draft or free agency. And they were able to get it early. And that gives them a leg up on that. If you put Draymond Jones on last year's, Seahawks defensive line, I think that that defense is significantly better. But Jaron Reed for Quentin Jefferson, I don't know. Jefferson had four and a half sacks last year, played well. And Jaron Reed did not play well in Green Bay last year. Again, Griffin Sturgeon, uh, right after the signing, posted a lot of clips. Unflattering clips, to say the least, of Jaron Reed just getting smoked in the running game. But maybe it's a better scheme fit. He's happier to be here. The Seahawks know how to get the most out of him. We'll see. Let's call that a wash and the Jones move for Harris a clear upgrade. There's no nose tackle. You're going into the draft now. You have no more money to spend. You're going into the draft now having to nail one of these nose tackle draft picks. And it's a good class, but it's not a super deep class. And just like I did with the linebackers today, we'll talk about nose tackles later in the week. Uh, so that's a problem. And then you need depth. There's no rotational players. It's basically Draymond Jones, Harris, Adams. That's it. And then linebackers we talked about extensively today, uh, Bobby and Devin Bush, uh, lots of upside there. And uh, with Bobby, obviously the the great resume, uh, but question marks too. And some of you might answer, well, Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton were all full of question marks last year too. Yeah, maybe, but we'll see. Had this debate with someone earlier today. Again, I talked about blinders earlier and negative perception. A lot of the fan base just thinks Cody Barton doesn't belong on an NFL field. But yet a lot of people that cover the game, understand the game, coach the game, think that he has a lot of upside, is an ascending player, still young. Got better as the year went along. Got a guaranteed deal to go to Washington. Let's see. This is what I told this person this morning. What if I told you that Cody Barton's better than Devin Bush or is it, has is going to have a better 2023 than Devin Bush? We'll see. Let's see how that works out. Can Devin Bush cover Rondale Moore 40 yards down the field on a pass route? Step for step? With that 4-4 speed? Nope and Bobby at this point in his career? Nope. Cody Barton can. And he did. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, and then again, I would like to see Tanner Muse come back. I think he's a physical player that just loves throwing his body around, takes on blocks and he's a former safety. So he's got some really nice, instinctive, natural coverage uh, skills. Would love to see, um, him come back after the draft. Uh, if they drafted one of these guys that I named today, and brought back Tanner Muse, I'd feel a hell of a lot better about that linebacker group. I would indeed. Um, So yeah, the roster's better than it was a month ago. I can't sit here and say that it's better than it was at the end of last season. If the if you went into a game today with no nose tackle <laughs> and uh, those two guys up front, uh, there's just not enough not enough depth up front. It's it's an incomplete answer at this point. Just don't know. Love the Julian Love signing. Love that signing. Really hope it allows Kobe Bryant to move back to the outside. It just adds a player there. I do believe, as good as this cornerback class is in this draft, if you want to focus on other areas, if you get out of this draft without taking a cornerback, I'm okay with that. Because of the Love signing and what it allows as far as Kobe being able to go back and forth compete on the on the left side. Trey Brown will be another year removed from that patella tendon injury. I do like that cornerback group enough that if they ignore that position in the draft, I'm not going to panic about it. Uh, I ran a new poll because I wanted to see things. We've talked a lot about Jalen Carter on this show and I got pretty emotional about it about a month ago. And just to recap, I wasn't slamming the kid. I was simply saying that based on How the Seahawks have emphasized love of football, passion for the game, leadership skills, work ethic, and character over the last five years, that they aren't likely to invest a top five pick in Jalen Carter. Um, But I did leave the door open because there was a lot of time left. Since that particular show, he has adjudicated his legal issues, pleaded no contest, he's got probation. No further charges. You know, when this first came up, we there was a lot we didn't know. And then things became clear. And as it turns out, for Jalen, and for teams looking at Jalen anyway, obviously with all due respect to the people that were affected by the accident and the two victims and their families, um, for Jalen, really best case scenario, as well as that could have turned out. And then, then he had the bad workout. And now it's been really, really quiet. Very quiet. And if the Seahawks are thinking about taking Jalen Carter, if he's still on their board at all, or has a chance to get back on their board, this is probably exactly the way they want it. And if they're still looking at Jalen Carter, I would expect it to remain quiet. I would expect him not to be one of their top 30 visits because of optics. Maybe they just want to keep that quiet. Remember, you can have as many Zoom calls with the players you want. Just can't bring him to your facility unless he's one of your top 30. But I wanted to gauge your temperature. Did a poll a few weeks ago and asked, would you would you support the Seahawks taking Jalen Carter at number five? And basically broke it down into yes, no, undecided. And a month ago, it was 62% no. And then the rest of it split evenly, 19% each for yes or undecided. The poll today with about the same number of people answering, no has dropped from 62% to 39%. Yes has gone up slightly from 19 to 24%. And the undecided now has gone from 19% to 37%. I think, right? What's the old cliche? Time heals all wounds, Right. Time can change perception too. And time gives a guy a chance. If Jalen Carter, well, let me put it this way. Jalen Carter does still have a chance to change perception. There's a month. Is it a month exactly? Today's the 26th. The draft is 27th. We're one month away from the draft. Jalen Carter still has time. And if the Seahawks are hoping that he's a guy that can prove himself and be worthy of the pick, they still have time to do more due diligence on him. Because I will say this, as much as as adamant as I was that I thought he would be off their board based on the information we had at the time, I think they want him to be the guy. The best thing the Seahawks could have happen to them in this draft with the way it's shaping up And what it looks like is going to happen from picks one through four. The fact that Will Anderson Jr. probably isn't going to be available to them. And based on what I just outlined about the roster. No interior player. Jalen Carter at his best. Would be the perfect pick for the Seahawks at five. You plug him in as a rookie. He plays nose. He can also play stand up. If you get one of those other nose guys later. He changes the entire draft. Everything after that falls into place so much easier. I've done a million mocks and it it illustrates that way every single time. Uh, so I find it interesting that you also are softening your stance on him and that uh, in the couple of weeks since the workout, as quiet as it's been, y'all haven't jumped from no to yes, but some of you are more open-minded now. And honestly, personally, that's where I'd put myself too. I think I've moved from no to undecided. And I still want to see. If reports start coming out, and man, I'm telling you, if this guy has a good agent or a good publicist, you're going to hear, you're going to see Instagram videos, right? You're going to see him working out. You're going to see him sweating, knocking tackling dummies around. You're going to start hearing things about how. Hey, he's had some good meetings with teams. And maybe that's already started because I just heard something the other day about how maybe that bad pro day workout he had wasn't as bad as reported because the coach that was running those drills, and I can't remember what organization he was from now, is notoriously a hard ass and was putting, was being extra hard on Jalen Carter and was putting him through positional drills for linebackers and other positions where he's not going to thrive. Essentially being unfair in the way that he ran Carter's pro day. And so maybe that's just solid reporting, or maybe that's a leak with an intention, right? So if you start seeing some of that stuff come out over the next couple of weeks, then maybe you can start to get a little bit more excited if you're a fan of the Seahawks potentially taking Carter at five. All right, before we wrap this up, let me see what kind of live comments we have here on the live stream and see if there's anything worth responding to. Uh, Okay, here's one. Uh, I wonder if Diggs adjusted his contract to make room for Bobby. So Diggs has been the most outspoken guy when it comes to this. Almost every day on Twitter doing a countdown. Like, hey. Still still waiting, still over here. Or he would jump into replies anytime someone would mention Bobby. He would retweet things when people would say, you know, still another day, just waiting for Bobby to sign. Um it's possible that he has already let the team know he would be willing to. Here's the thing, though, he doesn't have to. If you remember, this was a this was a thing that came up with Russell Wilson a couple of years ago. The team doesn't have to get the players' approval. They can just Make that bonus or salary to bonus adjustment. But it is very possible, I think, that as much as Quandre Diggs wanted this to happen, um, because look, Diggs probably recognizes this is his last big contract and and he wants to play on a contender, he wants to go to a Super Bowl. And uh, he was out there being the point man in a lot of social media um, recruitment of some of these big names. And yeah, I think it's absolutely possible that he's let the team know that he'd be willing to do this. The problem is, from the team standpoint, is it it does kick the can down the road a little bit. If you do that conversion, you then have to add um, that bonus money onto the prorated amount moving forward. And so it, it increases the dead money cap hit uh, next year and the year after. Um, but yeah, I do think that's possible. Uh, he then follows that up with, uh, will the Seahawks even draft a linebacker now? I think I covered that. These uh, some of these comments came in early in the show. Uh, someone said drew tranquil would have been a better choice in hindsight. I liked tranquil. I think I like his coverage abilities. Um, I can't remember now what he signed for, but I think it was less than Cody Barton signed for, I think it was two and a half or three and a half million dollars. Um, I would have, I would have liked that move and and I might've liked it better than Devin Bush, just given some of the questions um, in Bush's ability. Although it's, it's kind of an interesting parallel because the reason drew tranquil fell so far in the draft Um, was because he had multiple ACL injuries of his own at Notre Dame. Uh, And I think there are some questions about his ability to outside of coverage. Um, Here we go. It'll be a transition year based on the signings. Only difference maker is Jones. We have to hit the jackpot in this draft. I think that's accurate. And I think I touched on that, that I think Jones is really the only slam dunk dynamic talent that we've added to this defense. And we need, we went into this offseason, what? Needing three or four difference makers. And with Pete saying, we need to become more dynamic. Does Jaron Reed make us more dynamic? Devin Bush make us more dynamic? Does Bobby, Bobby Wagner at this point in his career make us more dynamic? I don't think so. Draymond Jones does. But they need to add two, at least two potential superstars on defense out of this draft not just a bunch of solid players. They need to add that dynamic element that Pete Carroll's talking about. They're not there yet. Uh, the Bobby signing means we don't have to reach for a linebacker. This is true. And I think that's generally true of the whole draft is I think they've set themselves up for the most part in not having to reach for anything, except I would argue at this point that they, they might have to reach for one of those nose tackles and uh little promo here tomorrow uh, we're going to do a mock draft Monday show. And one of the things I'm going to explore is the potential of trading up from 20 because we're already starting to see some of the reports now. Pittsburgh Steelers really like Mazzy Smith, and they're kind of going back and forth between he and Brian Brzee, according to Pro Football Network, and are, are considering both players at 17. They think Brzee might be a little bit more steady, but Mazzy may have more upside, which I agree with. And if they're going to take him at 17, then the Seahawks won't have a shot. But they do have all that draft ammo. Would they think about moving up from 20 or moving up from 37 into the back of the first round, getting a third first round pick in order to get uh, one of those nose tackles at the top of the draft? There's also some guys that they've met with that would that are projected to go lower. We'll talk about those some of those guys later too. All right, and here's one last one. We could really use the quote-unquote on-field Jalen Carter. And again, um, I do think he would be the ideal pick for the Seahawks in this draft. We're going to talk draft tomorrow. Mock draft Monday. Join me then. Uh, do this. If you're watching this live stream on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Really going to try to build that and add some cool features to it. Um, and if you're listening to the audio version of this on, on Spotify or Apple or Stitcher, or whatever app that you use, subscribe. That way you get notification of new episodes. Uh, but on YouTube... You will get notifications whenever I live stream. Uh, we're going to start adding some guests to the fold here, moving towards the draft and get some, uh, some other outside analysis on here for you. Um, until then, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Thanks again for the support of the show. Join me again tomorrow. We're going to talk mock draft as we are now, as I said, one month away from the draft. Can't wait. Welcome back, Bobby Wagner. It's a good time to be a Seahawk. This is fun, isn't it? Talk to you soon.